This is a Federal News Network podcast. When Congress created the Federal Employee Retirement System in the 80s, one of the most notable changes was that future retirees would get smaller cost-of-living adjustments than participants in the old Civil Service Retirement System did. CSRS and Social Security beneficiaries get COLAs that match inflation. FERS retirees get a smaller adjustment. That hasn't been a big problem over the past decade of low inflation, but obviously circumstances have changed. The National Active and Retired Federal Employees Association is urging Congress to pass the Equal COLA Act, which would get rid of the disparity between CSRS and FERS COLAs. To talk more about it, we're joined by John Hatton, Vice President for Policy and Programs at NARF. And John, I I think the right place to start off here is remind us how FERS COLAs actually work right now under current law. Okay, well, there's there's, a couple issues. First, you don't get them until you're age 62. And then unless you're in a special category, the Equal Coal Act doesn't address that particular issue. The second is uh, when it's above, when inflation is above 2%, you're not getting the full COLA. So if it's uh, 2.5%, you get 2%. If it's 4%, you get 3%. Um, it's whatever it is, minus 1%, except for in that 2 to 3 range is just 2%. A few too many numbers in there for you, but uh, a good example is last year in 2020, uh, CSRS and Social Security got a 5.9% COLA, FERS got 4.9%. So it's just a 1% reduction when inflation is high. Right. And just out of curiosity, do you happen to know if there's any particular policy rationale behind that one point reduction back when Congress first came up with it? Or was it just straight up deficit reduction? Yeah, it was all part of a balance. You know, they tried to, when they switched over to FERS and created FERS, they tried to make it, make it actuarially similar to CSRS. So if you take, you know, the FERS pension and you add in Social Security and you add in uh, your TSP at, at a certain level, it was supposed to provide a similar payout overall, like in the aggregate to CSRS. Um, so they had to tweak some numbers and move some numbers around. So I, I don't think there's a really good explanation for it other than they probably had to make the numbers work. So here's a way to do that. We're going to reduce that number down by 1%. And and what would the what would the legislation we're talking about here actually do? It would just provide, it's very simple. It would just provide, you know, the COLA, the cost of living adjustment that's based on the change in consumer prices, uh, the exact way social security is provided, the, the exact way civil service retirement system uh, annuities are provided. So um, it's just whatever that change in the consumer price index that the Bureau of Labor Statistics looks at from one year to the next is, that's what the cost of living adjustment be, would be, and there would be no reduction. And th- this legislation's been around before. This is not the first year it's been introduced. What are you hearing, if anything, from the kill that would give you hope that this is the year? Uh, you know, I think it's an uphill battle. Obviously, inflation is higher now, so this is more of an issue that's present. Uh, the other thing is that, you know, there's a lot more FERS retirees re- we're coming up to close to or more than a million first retirees based on the last uh, statistical report the OPM put out. So we're almost half and half of, of FERS and CSRS. So more people are affected by this. You know, this is the first time the Senate has introduced a bill. The Equal Cola Act has been around in the House, but Padilla just introduced it in the Senate. So we now have a bill in each chamber and co-sponsors keep on going up each Congress. But um it is a little bit of an uphill fight for this Congress or in the short term. So we just need to keep on building support, getting more people to contact their members of Congress about it. And then we might have some success, you know, getting it uh, through. Yeah. And besides inflation being a real thing this year, I mean, that that is a difference, right? I mean, I think the past yeah. decade or so, the FERS and CR, CSRS 
cola increases were just about equal, I think, every year just because inflation wasn't so much of a thing. But now right. it, it does get you into a point where it does start to become a little bit of a fairness issue, right? Because it's not just a one-year hit. That's that, that increase is something you'll never recover for the rest of your life, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, one year of a lower cost of living adjustment probably isn't going to do too much to you. But if you start getting two, three, four, five years in a row, you know, and that compounds over time as well. And it really starts to add up over the course of a full retirement. Um, it, it really does have more of an impact. The high, I mean, obviously it doesn't come into play if inflation is lower, but uh, when you get multiple years of high inflation, which, you know, we're going to see two years in a row and we might see a third, you know, it's, it's going to really depress that, uh, the value of that annuity. That's John Hatton, Vice President for Policy and Programs at the National Active and Retired Federal Employees Association. Subscribe to The Federal Drive on Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made Quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader? And what about them inspired you? you know, I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all. But, I, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, and uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League play- baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had a wad of tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually, I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same. Uh, Whether, you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment. and, and, And he was just really honest with me. And he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really, it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was I think my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood. And And I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind, that that what we say and do especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style and and how's that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, 
I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared, you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do, where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my, my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than, than so much on results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2, a social security administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the Social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office. And lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, From there, I went to the Department of Defense and I found this, this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating, Um, you know, from historical to current uh, current times. I just it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so. I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, 
confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.